We'll go ahead and open it to Psalm 12. Next week, Jamie will lead us in, uh, through Psalm 13, and that will round out our summer psalm series. Pick back up with Psalm 14 next summer. Um, before I read this, I just feel the need to kind of get this out. Um, I got hit with something over the weekend, some kind of 24-hour thing. feel a little bit of a step behind. And if you just notice that, it's, I don't want you to think, hey, does Ryan want to be here? Um, I do want to be here. I'm just a little bit step behind this morning, and, but uh, on the up and up for sure. So um, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word they found in Psalm 12. To the choir master, according to the Sheminath, a psalm of David. Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from, the genera- from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that you would open our eyes and our ears that we may see and hear things otherwise we could not, that you would soften our hearts you would make it good soil, such as a seed goes out into that soil and produces a fruit that our hearts would be changed because of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a TikTok slash Instagram video that, um, you know, found myself enjoying of this person. Essentially, what you saw is they're, they're trying to get up this extremely wet and slick ridge and there's there's water down at the bottom and they're just in that position that we've probably been in if we've been on ice before where we're just sort of like you're not trying to move anything because you're just the slightest move and you're going to lose all friction and then just start sliding (laughs) and this person has gotten to the top and they're just trying to make that next move to get out of this and all of a sudden they just you just start seeing them (laughs) slide. It's one of those things that you find yourself watching 30 times because that's normal. Um, and, you know, you've been there. You, you, you found yourself, you know, whether, again, maybe it's icy, snowy slopes or whatever, and the, the friction is just not going to be there uh, to hold you in place. And, and you just start sliding and you don't move a bit because there's nothing you can do. You have no footing. Um, that's where this guy was in this video, <laughs> headed for water, um, and the look of desperation on his face, knowing that he's going to have to start this all over again, was probably enough to watch it 30 times, I guess. But um, I have no idea if he got out. I'm sure he's fine. But what does that have to do with our psalm this morning? Well, the psalm 
in this Psalm, David, he isn't on ice or on a slick surface, but he is in a situation where he is trying to find footing, where he is trying to find solid ground because of what is going on around him. And what's fascinating about this psalm is that of all of the resources available to him as king to fix his circumstances even, it is the word of God that comes to David that becomes his footing. It is God's presence that becomes his solid ground for which he finds safety and rescue. And the same is true for us this morning. We are a generation with the most resources at our fingertips, more than any other people group in history have ever uh, had access to. Yet none of it has the power to bring true contentment into our lives, joy, or security. No bit of money that we possess, our health and advances in, in that department, our family, our job, nothing can bring uh, this type of footing, this type of security that we want. And why? Because they're all temporary. They're all temporary, but even more so, they lack the power needed to give us those things. Instead, we need something better that lasts, that will hold us, that is solid ground. And this psalm reminds us that that kind of footing is only found in God himself and the safety and the security that he truly provides. And so I want us to see that by looking at three things as we go through this psalm. First is why David needs saving, why he needs help. I want us to see then the problem under the problem in this passage, and then lastly, the secure footing that we all need in this passage. So let's look at that first one, why David needs saving, why he needs help. This psalm opens up with a cry for help. It's the very first thing we read in verse 1. But it's not exactly what we would expect. You know, most cries uh, to, for help to God involve David needing to be saved from his enemies. Uh, typically a, a situation where he's being surrounded and he's, he's certain death is imminent. But here he's actually asking to be saved from something else. And that is the dishonest the lies of those around him. And we get this uh, as we go into verse two. Everyone utters lies to one another. They speak with flattering lips and a double heart or a deceptive heart could be another term for that. When we look at these words in the Hebrew, they become a little bit more um, uh, tangible. Uh, the word for lie is literally empty. So it's emptiness. Uh, flattery is a word for smooth. We might say someone is a smooth talker, right? But flattery is probably the most uh, underestimated form of dishonesty. Um, it it kind of gets covered up with niceness. Oh, well, you know, those great, great sermon pastor. So great. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, or, you know, you look like you've lost 10 pounds. You, know, you look great. And, and there might be some truth in that, but maybe there's something else you're angling for. Smooth talking, that's flattery. Uh, I, won't, I will not accuse you of that after the service, by the way. So, um, but then this phrase, double heart, which literally reads a heart and a heart uh, in the Hebrew, right? It has the, the meaning of, of double speak. Uh, or we might say someone talking out of both sides of their mouth. So lies, flattery, and deceptive talk. Lord, help. This is David's cry. But why would David ask the Lord to save him from this? Can he just find new friends? 
Can he just find new confidants? Well, while we don't know the exact context or even the circumstances that promoted or prompted David's writing of this psalm, and I wish we did, the short answer is this. We weren't created to live in a world of emptiness, dishonesty, and deceit. That, that, that world, to live, to live amongst lies, right, is a very chaotic world, and, and, and the God who created all things is a God who what, loves what? Truth and order, not falsehood and chaos. And when you find yourself in a situation where those perhaps closest to you turn out to not be who they said that they were, that is a very, what, disorientating experience. One worth actually being rescued from. You were not created to live in and around that which is literally empty. For example, we could say you were created, for example, to live and enjoy things like the beach. The youth took a trip to the eastern shore this week, and uh, we uh, enjoyed all of God's creation in the waves and in the sand and just being out there for the day. Uh, we could have used some more sunblock, but that's, that's on the leaders, me probably. Um, but we enjoyed the beach, we enjoyed the ways, everything. Why? Well, because God created it and created us to enjoy that. You were created to enjoy the mountains. You were created to enjoy the outdoors. You were created to enjoy and live in homes, um, hopefully with air conditioning. You were not created to live underwater. You were not created to live in space. Living in outer space we would all agree, is actually a very chaotic place to live. No oxygen, no gravity, no food. And if you don't think outer space is chaotic, go watch the first 30 minutes of the movie Gravity. I know I've referenced it here before. But it's some of the most intense and chaotic, realistic scenes of what space can be like. Now, I also should say this doesn't mean we should explore it. So all my NASA friends, don't get, you know, calm down. But living there, living there is another thing altogether. We have to actually create a more, we have to create something to live in, to live in space. You are not created to live in places of chaos. You are actually created to steward and to bring order uh, out of the chaos, whether that's our physical environment here on earth or other environments like your relational environment. And see, what David is experiencing, which is interesting, because he is saying and he's, he is uh, dignifying, I would say, the reality that living in a world of dishonesty and flattery and deception is not only chaotic, it's not what you were created for. And I, I sort of labor here because I feel like even as I was writing this, I feel I am so jaded by the lies that I am just sort of traffic in, whether it's social media, whether it's the you know, politics of our day, we live in a political town. And it just kind of becomes something that it's easy for me to say, well, this is just the way life is. Um, and you, know, you just have to kind of toughen up and deal with it. But what David does is he dignifies the reality that that is not okay. And that where we would probably understand him wanting to be rescued from a place of, uh, uh, of where somebody's trying to kill him, he's actually trying to be rescued from a place that is utter, utterly false. 
the words of those closest to him. Notice he's not saying that these words are hurtful, although they probably are. Rather, he is speaking to the environment that is created when you do not know who to trust and who is loyal or faithful. And we weren't created for that. And this is why David is asking the Lord to save him, to help him in this situation. Okay, this is the first point. It's why David needs uh, saving, why he needs help. But let's get to the, the second point, the problem under the problem here. Are words really the problem here for David? Yes, they have power, but is this what the Bible is, is most concerned about? As we even just look at this text, but you know, certainly the Bible has a lot to say about our words. And, but I, I would say no, this isn't the, the primary thing that the text is concerned about. It's not the words or the lies that are the real problem here. It's, it's what? It's where they come from. That is the real problem. And where do they come from? They come from the heart. Our words might be best understood as the, uh, the check engine light that would come on in our car or that stays on. And it's not the real problem, right? But it's, it, it has power. And nothing makes me more nervous or concerned that, that, than, you know, than when that light comes on because essentially it means that I'm going to have to give and hand over a lot of money to somebody to turn that light off. Again, it's not the problem, but it has power. It is pointing to something um, uh, something else that is the problem, right? The light is the symptom of that problem. Well, David is not just talking about the person, you know, who, who well, he, same as with our hearts here, right? To go back to the point, the problem underneath the problem. Our words are an indication of where our hearts are. And David is not just talking about the person who speaks the occasional harmless, you know, little lie that we might do every now and again, perhaps, um, or even in a moment of weakness, um, is deceptive or, or speaks out of both sides of their mouth, but actually, you know, is sorry about it and seeks forgiveness. David's not talking about that person. David is talking about the one whose heart is in opposition to anything but their own will and agenda. The one who is full of self, or we might say self-absorbed, and can see no greater end than that which serves themselves. Look with me here as he moves into verses 3 and 4. It says, may the Lord cut off all the flattering lips. This is what David asked for. <laughs> this, is, this is his remedy, right? But he continues, the tongue that makes what? Great boasts or prideful boasts. And says, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? We've talked about this word uh, boast here before in the past. It signifies the source of one's footing or foundation from which they derive confidence for something. In the New Testament, Paul will use this a form of this, which uh, has a military context to it. Um, and, and you've probably heard me talk about this, but just, just to recap, uh, you know, for before soldiers would go out to battle, there would be this sort of uh, moment of rousing them, uh, and, and the commander would maybe perhaps get on his horse. We think about Roman days and go back and forth and, and chant and give them their boast, right? They're, what they're going to have confidence in in order to run into battle and, for the most part, die. Well, that boast, whatever it might be, could be, you know, you do this for the glory of Rome, right? Something bigger than yourself. That's where you find your confidence. Well, David writes of a similar thing here. 
But this phrase is more directed at one's pride in themselves. And looking back at verse 4, we see where this boast, where this pride thing is coming from in those who are full of lies and flattery. It's coming from their own hearts. With our tongue, we will prevail. Our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Who can be our master? And this, friends, is the problem under the problem. Yes, our words have power, but they are the symptom, not the source. And the source uh, is where those words come from. And that, according to the Bible, is our hearts. And what sin does to us, as it says, and to quote William Henley's Invictus, it, it, it leads us to say that I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. No one else gets to tell me what to do or how I will live. See, it's complete opposition to God. It's complete opposition to anything that he would, would care for or be about. Therefore, as our boast, we find our confidence, our footing in ourselves. We live for us and only for us. And because that's the case, actually our words are not lies or flattery to us. They are simply means to obtaining what I want, what is most important. And for some, it could be survival. For others, it could be wealth. It could be notoriety. It could be pleasure, right? And the book of James says that there is no end to this. There's no satisfying this thirst. James says that the tongue is untamable. The heart wants what the whole heart wants. And so the problem is much bigger than just our words for David. It's actually our hearts. This is the problem under the problem. And what flows out of our mouths then is a reflection of what is going on inside. It's our hearts that are sick that produce the words that hurt. Um, the words uh, that, that, yes. Listen to what Jesus says here in Matthew 15, 17 to 20. He says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth, and here he's kind of talking about food, passes into the stomach and is expelled. But what comes out of the mouth, meaning our words, proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile, defile a person. And so you see what Jesus is saying here. He's saying it's not enough to just clean up your language or what we might call the external aspects of life, which is actually what he's engaging the Pharisees with this, uh, in this chapter. To change, you have to what? Address what's hidden. What's at the source of the external, and that is our hearts, the real problem under the problem, and that's exactly what Jesus has come to do. He, he came to what? Give us new hearts by, by dying for our sin sick hearts that don't want anything to do with him, that boast in themselves and say, who is master over us, which makes the gospel at the same time so beautiful because what it says is while our hearts boasted in themselves, Jesus, what he comes to us and went to the cross. And why? To rescue us, right? to give us a bigger and better boast, one that lasts forever but that we might also have him. See, Jesus gives us the promise of himself, or to put it another way, Jesus gives us his word. 
that whosoever believes in him will not die, but what have eternal life. And it's his word to us that becomes the secure footing that we all need. And this is what we see actually happening to David and the rest of this psalm. And this gets to my final point, the secure footing we all need. As David is, 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 is crying out to God and what he's asking him to do, um, and as I said, he wants him to cut off the lips of, of these liars, um, we, we have something sort of unique and special in this psalm that hasn't happened in a psalm yet. And this gets us to verse 5. We have this oracle from God. And it's this sort of idea that, that God immediately answers uh, the request of the prayer of David. And as we approach this, this is going to become really important in understanding how this psalm fits together. But you'll notice that as we, we go through the rest of the psalm, beginning in verse 5, uh, the psalm does not lead us into five steps uh, to being a more honest person or uh, six ways to remove flattery and deceit from your life. Instead, the psalm does what all the Scripture does, and that show us what is the secure footing we all need, what is the better boast. And that, this is nothing less than God coming to his people, and that's where David finds help. That's where he finds sanity for the chaos that he is in. So in verse 5, we have this oracle, and as, we re- as it reads, um, God becomes the speaker, as you notice here. He says, because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. And the way you've got to really see this is, is here's David's cry for help, here's David's wish, and then everything sort of stops. And there's this, new, um, there's, there's this new speaker that actually delivers to David something for David. And this then will change everything for David and thus everything about this psalm. How and in what way this oracle came to David, we are not sure. But it is this word of God that changes everything for David, as I said. And, and we see that, that, that even David, as he wants the Lord to cut off their lips, instead God says to him, well, I'll, I'll handle it. <laughs> you need to trust me. And it's God's word to David that changes things and gives David the secure footing he needs. Verse 6 then acts as a commentary on that oracle. David saying, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times, you, O Lord, will keep them. And there's his pivot. There's there's his finding solid ground. There's the the chaos and and, and everything else that's going on around him. Here's where his sanity is found. In God's word to him, and knowing that he will keep it. And as he says, you will guard us from this generation forever, on every side, the wicked prowl, as vileness is exalted among the children of men. Immediately, as we look at this, we have our contrast to the emptiness of lives of those around David with the, what, the solid pureness of God's word. And I love what uh, Derek Kidner writes. He says, here is solid wealth as against empty tokens. As it turns out, the solution for David wasn't retaliation. It wasn't a removal from his circumstances. Actually, you'll notice at the end of verse 8, what has really changed? Nothing according to his circumstances. Those who lie are still around him. The wicked are still near him. But what has changed? Everything. God has come to him. 
And God in his word, right, his presence is then the solid footing that David finds orientation for the chaos in which he is in. It is what brings order out of and to that chaos of lies and deceit. It is the balm to sick hearts that long to boast in themselves, to which David is no stranger either. David, plenty of examples of him boasting in his own works, in his own self, right? But the best part is God didn't wait here for David to figure it out. Notice that. He didn't wait here for him to um, you know, figure out what it is that he should be doing. Rather, God broke into the scene here. This is the power of the oracle. And said, here's what's going to happen. Here's where you're going to find footing. God is so proactive to give himself to us. And it is him, right? His word, his presence, where we find safety for which we all long. And where does God give us himself in the purest of ways, right, then in Jesus. The one who, as the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us, right, the one whose words to you on the cross, it is finished, tell you something or tell you everything, actually, that you need to know about the safety and the rest that he provides and how solid that footing truly is in his death and in his resurrection, and so I'll leave you with one point of application here. Where, where is your footing this morning? We all have circumstances in life that uh, we could pick from, right? Could be, it could be, right, that you have maybe in your workspace or maybe in family, like there's just a lot of dishonesty around you and it is driving you crazy, right? It could be illnesses. It could be, it could be problems. That, it could be a number of things. Those are circumstances. Where is your footing in the midst of those circumstances, what is the solid ground that you reach for in times of need? And is it true enough? Is it worthy enough to say, well, I will stake my whole life on it? Only in Christ do we have such a promise. Only in his words to us do we have such a footing, such a solid ground to lay hold of in any of those times, and in any of those circumstances. And it's my prayer that, that we would see him not only as the solid ground for our souls that he is, but the one we trust to bring us to safety, which is to say that to bring us to himself. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us, and we pray that as we try to enter into David's situation here. It could be a number of different things for us this morning, but the bottom line is, is where, where's our footing? What have you, where, where have you directed um, our lives to find the foundation in which we can have that safety, have that security that we long for in any situation, any circumstance, and it is only in Jesus it is in his words to us. It is finished. It is in, it is in the, the words that we read in Scripture uh, that remind us of your presence with us, that you are near to us. And I pray that we would draw to that. We would find comfort in that, that we would be reminded that, that your word would truly be the sanity <laughs> that, 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 that comes out of the chaos of life, that stabilizes us and reminds us of what's true and what is good and that is your word to us, that is you.
Give us yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.